It is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Good show coming up today. Bob Timmons, who covers the outdoors uh, as an editor and a writer at the Star Tribune, will join me here in just a little bit to talk about some of his recent stories, including a piece that's quintessentially Minnesotan. It was the most Minnesota thing I've read in a long time about how some campers in the state are unhappy with the registration system, some loopholes in how campsites are reserved and some of those prime spots are being reserved. But it is prompting some changes from from the state and from the system. So I thought I'd have Bob on to talk about that a little bit and some other interesting things he's written and has coming up. So stick with me for that here in just a little bit. Has some NBA stuff at the end of the show. Former Timberwolves not exactly shining right now in the postseason for the Lakers, especially D'Angelo Russell. Uh, We'll get to that at the end as well as the results of the NBA draft lottery and how the San Antonio Spurs have to be awfully happy right now. First, though, what did I miss? We are going to start with the Twins. We need to uh, because of a few different things. One, um, they won in Los Angeles for the first time in many, many years, over a decade. First time they've beaten the Dodgers, I believe, since 2011. They had an 11-game losing streak, played a competitive game Monday, played a much more solid game on Tuesday all around 5-1 win. Uh, over the Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw, future Hall of Famer, almost certainly Clayton Kershaw. Bailey Ober goes six innings, um, throws over 100 pitches. I think it was a career-high 102, only allows one run. They get enough offense. Byron Buxton stole a couple bases. They stole four bases total. Um, not a base-stealing team this season, but they stole a lot of bases in that game. Just an all-around solid win. Some interesting quotes from Buxton in this game, which is another thing that got me uh, got me interested in this one. Buxton talking about just their mentality going into the game and how it's different than it was in the past. His quote saying, it just shows how different we are, our mentality, and who we are becoming as a team. We didn't go out there today like, oh, Kershaw's pitching. It was like they're facing the Twins. They've got a pitch to us. Buxton calling the Twins nasty and dangerous and saying, and once we get it clicking, it's going to be way worse. Now, that's interesting for a team that hasn't had a lot of offense this season but seems to be finding itself a little bit at the plate lately, finding some balance. Um, you know, They had eight runs the other night in that 9-8 loss. They had five in this game, which usually is going to be plenty when it comes to the starting pitching. And that is the bigger piece of all of this that I want to get into. This team right now, I think we've talked plenty about how they haven't hit much this year, how they had the MLB worst batting average for a time. I think they're a little bit higher now thanks to their recent surge. But we need to talk a little bit more about the starting pitching right now. I was thinking about this as I watched Bailey Ober throw six innings last night. And I went to bed right after he finished up. And I was like, well, it's 3-1. to one. See how this thing finishes up in the morning. Like I said, they wound up winning 5-1. to one. So this narrative sounds better even now than it would have if they would have you know, lost that game. But Bailey Ober gives them six innings for the season. The Twins lead the major leagues in innings pitched by starting pitchers. A complete change from a year ago when there was all this talk of Chris Archer going four innings, Dylan Bundy going five innings, even some of their other starters getting lifted early sometimes, guys like Sonny Gray, guys who maybe wanted to pitch more. 
The narrative last season was that they were going to pull guys at a certain point through the rotation and or through the through the batting order and not let them go any deeper. And it caught up to them because the bullpen wasn't great and they ended up wearing down towards the end of the season. That is completely different this season, both in terms of philosophy and in terms of quality. Not only do they lead the majors in innings pitched by starting pitchers, 244 and one-third, um, and that's also leading the majors in starting uh, in innings pitched per game by starting pitchers. They lead the majors by a long shot in strikeouts by starting pitchers. They are also second in team ERA by starting pitchers. They're starting pitchers right now, 17 and nine record, 3.13 ERA in 244 and one third innings pitched. That sounds like an awfully good season from one pitcher, right? That's all the pitchers combined. That's a lot of guys doing their jobs right now, especially Ober since he came up, especially Joe Ryan. Usually Pablo Lopez, and in particular, Sonny Grave. That's been a great kind of combination. Louis Varlin has chipped in since he's come up as an injury replacement. A lot of guys doing their jobs right now. A lot of guys combining to be arguably the best staff in baseball, certainly at least results-wise this season. Like I said, when you lead the league in strikeouts, innings pitched, and you're second in ERA, you are doing a lot of things right. But that's a complete, like I said, complete 180 from a year ago. I'm just going to pull up the numbers from a year ago, and that was this. That was the narrative last season was how how much they were suffering, how little they were getting from their starters in terms of innings pitched last season by starters. Twins were all the way down at number twenty-seven in baseball, seven hundred and eighty-two innings. They were barely getting, you know, barely getting five innings per start from their starters a season ago. Not even five innings to start from their starters a year ago, which was not going to get it done. Team ERA by the starters was not great either. Not you know wasn't quite as bad as you know it wasn't quite as bad as the innings pitch, but the team ERA by starters was still you know down, 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 down. Four point one when they were twentieth in starting pitching ERA. So just the fact that they have added Pablo Lopez, getting another year of Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray has been consistent and healthy this season, and that the back part of the rotation with Bailey Ober and Louis Varlin solidifying things, and they and they come coming in and replacing Tyler Malley and uh, and Kenta Maeda, that has been such a <clears throat> such a key to this season. Obviously, not to not to understate it, not to overstate it, but properly state it that this is the identity of this team. And now, if Buxton, if Buxton is right, if they are on the verge of figuring this out um, from a hitting standpoint. Like I've said before, even if they can just get a little bit more hitting like they have been lately, they will be dangerous. They will be, like he said, a team that can be reckoned with. And the final point on this, and I've made this before and I continue to make this because it continues to be a storyline. Last season, previous seasons, a lot of previous seasons, they were not competitive against some of the best teams in baseball. This year, they've beaten the Astros. They've beaten the Yankees. More on the Yankees in a minute. Um, They've beaten the Dodgers now once. They took two or three from the Padres. They're playing competitively <clears throat> winning at least you know half the time against the really good teams in baseball and you know that's going to serve them well because the AL Central is not good nobody else in the AL Central above 500 right now I saw a comparative stat the other day that against teams not in their own division the AL Central is by far the worst in baseball like everybody in the AL East is playing at like a hundred win pace combined everybody in AL Central outside the division is playing at like a hundred loss pace so it's not a great division but the Twins at least have been good enough outside of their own division to be competitive to not just be not just be beating up on the bad teams in their division now got to get back to the Yankees here for a second because one more difference about this team um, with the, with the Twins they 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 called out Domingo Herman about a month ago when they were playing the Yankees for believing that he was cheating. 
He gets ejected from uh, Tuesday's game for having illegal substance on his hand. Yankees embroiled in all sorts of controversy right now. The Blue Jays uh, insisting that Aaron Judge was maybe the beneficiary of sign stealing the other day and that he was glancing into the dugout to get signs. Yankees in a little bit of a free fall, a little bit of a controversy mode. Maybe the Twins were right about Herman and that they should have, that he should have been kicked out of that game a month ago. He finally got kicked out of a game Tuesday, likely to face a 10-game suspension uh, for, for having illegal substance. So Twins feisty this year, calling things out, calling things out that they don't like, and more importantly, beating the teams that not only that they should beat, but the teams that they could be competing with if they get to the postseason. That is a difference from a year ago, and uh, if you are a Twins fan, that has to give you a certain amount of hope compared to previous seasons. The most fundamental part of that is they seem like they maybe have a starting rotation, a starting pitching staff that can compete in the postseason, and maybe, just maybe, if and when they get to the playoffs, can snap that 18-game postseason losing streak. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Good to have Bob Timmons back on Daily Delivery today. Excellent outdoors writer at the Star Tribune, outdoors writer and editor. And he's got a number of things that kind of caught my eye over the last week or so. And then something else he's got coming up. Um, so I wanted to get him on and talk about all of those things. Bob, how you doing? Hey, Ramball. Good. Good to be on with you. Yeah, it's always good to have you on. And always, um, you know, I read with interest, you had a piece, I think it was late last week, about the state park reservation system and how... Um, you had a nice phrase, unhappy campers in the, I think it was in the second uh-huh. paragraph, um, you know, just a play on words, but also true because it sounds like some people are frustrated with what's essentially a loophole in how you can reserve these kind of prime spots, right? Like we wait all, we wait, you know, through the winter, we enjoy our, our winter activities and stuff like that. But really, this is the prime time where people start to think about getting outdoors, staying overnight places. And sounds like there's a little bit of, inequity or at least a little bit of people exploiting a system of how the reservation system works. Maybe you can explain that for me a little bit more. Yeah. That would, what, um, this is something that's been sort of bubbling for a while. Um, you know, prior to 2016, um, the state parks, parks and trails division of the DNR kept a third of all state park campsites, overnight campsites open yeah, uh, for drive ups, you know, people making yeah. decisions late, maybe even hoping to snag a site. Suddenly, the they can go and their family can go. And the state park went decided to go to a hundred percent reservable, um, beginning in 2016, in the hopes to fill more sites and encourage people to get out. And there was an uptick at that time in terms of overnight uses in the state park, you know. System. There's 76 state parks and recreation areas in Minnesota. Well, um, that 100% reservable even then was met with uh, met with disdain by some people, and 
in putting in that structure, there's now a 120 day window. So I can, I could go on today and see what's available 120 days out. But you have to be, you also want to be planning ahead, knowing, um, especially if there's certain parks that you want to hit, um, knowing that weekends especially are um, in high demand. So now you've got what I wrote about essentially last week in terms of this, you know, group of uh, unhappy campers calling the DNR, emailing the DNR, posting things on the on the web, um, you know, about distressed about the camping reservation system is um, you've got people going on and there's a glitch in uh, in that interface. There's a glitch online which allows people to get in that 120 day window but also lock up a site 14 days beyond that 120 days so if you have the means you know if you've got the money in some instances and you want to lock up 14 days people are going doing that and and it's especially happening at, at up on the north shore and um there certainly is most people who camp would know the North shore is the center of action. When people want to camp by and by in Minnesota, they go to the North shore, they go to Tedaguch, they go to temperance river, gooseberry split rock. These are the parks that are traditionally sought out. And, um, and so people are locking up um, these prime days through the summer at these prime parks. And so you've just, uh, and, and, there's instances where campers aren't necessarily canceling those days. It's the equivalent of just squatting. This is an issue that also goes on with the boundary waters, people locking up entry points and then not going back and, and, um, and releasing those say, and then sometimes they just go unoccupied. Well, that's what's happening. There's sites that have gone unoccupied um, at times and the state's trying to figure out how can we notify people um, better if things become available and now the state, sorry to talk so much, Mike. Now, no, the, no. State, now the state has has been able to s- answer some of this uh, challenge to the system by tweaking the interface. So people can now sort by availability when it comes to camping reservations. They can see what's what's available if they get blocked out on a particular date. So it's, you know, the DNR is, you know, says it is and has shown uh that it is working on this, but a lot of any substantial change sounds like it's not going to happen until advance of next year's camping season. Which is interesting because I mean, it, it does speak to a few things. One that there's high demand for these things, but, but two that, you know, like you said, some people are, you know, whether it's in good intentions or whether it's, you know, maybe, you know, just to kind of, like you said, kind of squat on these sites and, and kind of have their pick and then ultimately either release them or not. It shows that there's a certain amount of demand, like you said, especially for these north North Shore spots, and it just it 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 struck me as like this quintessential Minnesota thing to get upset about. Like there are we don't have the right access to our campsites. Like I don't I can't imagine a lot of other places where this is this is going on. But it it's it's true. Like I would be if I was trying to get in some place, and I've you know I've camped a fair amount of times, not as much maybe lately. Our, our kids are a little bit you know, little right now. I think we'll probably get into that a little bit more as they get a little bit older, kind of resume that. But I do remember the old system where, right, there was a third of them that were that were kind of wide open and you could kind of try to get some last minute. But even in trying to plan some stuff, you know, months in advance, you do find a lot of stuff that's that's completely booked. And that's uh, 
that's uh that that's that's problematic right oh yeah yeah i think um and especially when you know if you really want to dig in you know that most people they're sure there are people who are uh gaming you know planning things way out you know got my outdoors calendar sort of filled in you know in january what i'm going to do the entire year but um you know most people in general um aren't planning that far out and so now you're you run into this sort of barrier um you know over time you know so what do you do with that um well there are a lot of options uh there's other places to camp there's you know, um, I think the state forests uh, are a, sort of an untapped resource in that regard. There's a the uh, Finland state forest up up where Tedaguch is located. You know, up uh, has um, at least two campgrounds, which are also first come first serve, and a smaller, uh, you know, relatively cheap reservation fee. Now you're also taking the chance of getting up there and not not getting a site because it is a popular area, but, you know, I Finland sort of a, just one example of, uh, you know, there are, you know, you can, and you can even disperse camp too, as long as you're abiding by the rules about um, fires and leave no trace and things like that. You could throw up a tent in a spot of a state, state forest, you know, as long as you're following the guidelines. So there are, there are other options. There are other options you know, up on the, along the North shore, if you're willing to do a little work and it sort of meets where you are. I realize there's certainly, if you've got a young family and there's some great amenities, that's part of the thing too, is many people like the Wi-Fi, you know, and uh, they want the electric, the RV market's gone bananas. And that's why the state, state park system is trying to adjust to that too. How are they finding out, last thing on this, and I want to move on to some other stuff. How are they finding out that there's more people that are upset about this is this they're getting calls about it is it social media how, how are these kind of complaints coming to the forefront yeah i think it's mainly uh my understanding is it's mainly been calls to the dnr and the emails you know um and uh and two judging from some you know the response to that story um yeah a lot of, a lot of people read, read, read it last week a lot of people read it last week and commented things on their website um just because like you were saying, it just, it, it, it strikes a nerve. I think there's a, you know, we always think about how Mike, we've talked about, there's a bit of a pandemic element even now to this yeah, um, with such a surge to find refuge in the outdoors. And that was reflected in camping, you know, RVing, hiking, all these sorts of things that are the state parks are so intimately in part of. And uh, so I'm sure, I'm sure temperatures were, Pulses were pretty high during the pandemic, knowing that North Shore was blocked in once the parks actually did come back online because there were, you know, the pandemic and health precautions were affecting even use camping use at parks, too, at the time. So, yeah, I'm sure Minnesotans make no uh, bones about a expressing their displeasure, especially when they find something to be inequitable and especially when you're taking away precious outdoor time in the in the summers um that's not the only thing you've been working on though talk me through a couple of your other more recent stories that uh that, that we should know about yeah thanks um well one this week that uh went up online sunday is an interesting you know we've written a lot about uh the popularity of mountain biking in minnesota and how 
you know, the level of trails and the level of interest uh, just continues to go up. And especially across northern Minnesota, I mean, from Detroit Lakes up into Duluth, up onto the shore, you've got um, these facilities uh, that are, you know, purpose as they, you know, they'd like to use these terms in the, in the uh, mountain biking building industry of like purposely built. Well, you've got like professional level facilities like split rock wilds and others that are going in. And so now I did a story um, again, like I said, went online Monday, the state has already paid attention to this and they've seen the, what recreational tourism can do to places like Cuyuna country on the range, you know, up, up near Brainerd, 130,000 riders hitting that recreation area just to ride, not to mention the 500,000 who went up there to paddle and do all sorts of things a few years ago. And that those that means money coming into a region that transform has transformed Crosby, Ironton, and those communities. Well, now the state is really paying attention and um, a commission um, that represents several park districts or across the across the uh, state called the Greater Regional Minnesota Parks and Trails Commission has come out with this the equivalent of like a playbook, like the guide to building trails in Minnesota. And um, I think just by the state doing that shows that it recognizes that state, you know, mountain biking trails, it doesn't need to be Cuyuna-sized. It could be um, it could transform a small community by putting a two mile trail behind a school. You know, they want to give a guide to say, if you think, because they were getting a lot of inquiries from all, all parts of the state, especially up North about, Hey, we want to do a trail. And heretofore it's all been very volunteer based. And what that happens is you get a lot of uneven sorts of things, uh, yeah. produced, right? Well, now, there's a real emphasis on doing it professionally. How do we plan this? Who do we talk to? Who are the stakeholders? And this guide is really meant for land managers to sort of start foundationally at point A. And it really, it's amazing the detail in this guide that the commission has produced. Um, and they've got all these big hitters like the International Mountain Bicycling Association and Rock Solid, which is a professional trail builders outfit that started in Minnesota is now like the leader internationally in building trails, they are all in on this guide and they really want to just enhance. They see a lot of opportunity in Minnesota and they just want to really help communities uh, kind of walk through this. And, and uh, cause clearly there's an appetite for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about that. I think when the Cuyuna was kind of booming, but it just the, just yeah. the fact that it's, I think it's cool that they're trying to do this in, in other places and maybe kind of, you can maybe create like a a sequence of them, you know, hey, come do this one one day or come, you know, come make a weekend out of it. Or here, here's kind of how these all are connected, kind of thinking about it in the same way as, you know, you know flatline trails and things like that might be, you know, connected yeah. or at least, you know, linked together as part of a, hey, here's here's not just one thing you can go do, but here's kind of a community of these things as this continues to grow and kind of recognizing what people are into and how they're kind of how their tastes for the outdoors are evolving and what they want to do in the outdoors. Yes, exactly. And and the cool thing about it too is it's not all of it's not meant for just you know the people we see on YouTube or Instagram like ripping some trail like you know death defying. We're talking about there's a Strider Park 
up at Cuyuna. Really? That's, that's probably as used as some of the trails that, you know, their mom, their moms and dads are riding, you know, it's, they, these, this sort of foundational, you know, guide is really meant to think about, you know, what does our community need? Right. And not everything needs to be uh, to the nth degree and drops and rock walls and, you know, uh, so forth, flow trails, you know, some of it can be things where people can really see themselves and kind of lower the barrier. And I think that's what we're going to see. We're going to see stuff that is really like you're kind of got at like multi-purpose and families, but also, you know, for the people who want to, who want to, you know, go to the nth degree. So kind of like a ski hill where you got the black diamond, but you got the money slope. You got to have a little bit of everything, make it, make it accessible to everybody that the experts to the, uh, to the beginners. Um, Final Final thing, Bob, um, you said you you got something pretty good coming out later this week. I want to give you a chance to to promote that and tell us about that if you want to. Yeah, thanks. Um, Been talking. In fact, I might even talk with him again today. uh, A guy uh, named Aaron Hill, who lives in Lake Elmo with his four kids. Uh, Aaron's wife, Catherine, uh, died young of cancer uh, several years ago. And... um, and Aaron and his four, their four children kind of came out of that, uh, certainly grieving, but also um, sort of inspired to hit the road and sort of find themselves and find healing, doing something together. And Aaron decided he wanted to run every state trail. He'd already had interest in trail running, uh, wanted to run every state trail in every state park in Minnesota and including in that bring his kids along. His kids have gone on almost every trip to, you know, the 66 parks. Well, Aaron's close to wrapping that up. It's going to end up being close to 1300 miles by the time he finishes. And uh, I, yeah, just a really inspiring story. Neat guy who clearly um, this has really bound his family. And uh, so it's going to be fun to share that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading that one. Always appreciate Bob Timmons' work in the Star Tribune, just a really good, you know, kind of finger on a pulse of what people in, you know, this community, this state are interested in, what they want to read, but also what they want to go do. So kudos to you, Bob, for all that good work and uh, look forward to reading that piece later this week. We'll talk to you again soon, okay? Sounds good, Ramball. Thanks a lot. I always like talking to Bob for a number of reasons. One, he does a great job. Um, two, it makes me want to get outdoors. Um, this is the kind. This is the time of year, like he and I talked about, where we start to think about that a little bit more. The weather's been great lately, and it continues to be great. It looks like today as well. Um, you know, I've talked about we have you know fairly small children. They're they're nine, six, and three right now. But you know, this, they're getting to be that age that the, the three year old's old enough now, where I think we can maybe start thinking about camping again and things like that, getting outdoors. Um, you know, we get outdoors a lot anyway, but maybe getting back in nature, they're, they're bugging us to go camping to get outside and, and try that again. We had a really unsuccessful try late in 2020. I think it was like September of 2020, um, you know, right in the middle of pandemic. But, you know, people were trying to get outside. That was the safe space. You know, my son was like, you know, eight, nine months old. And it just we just got downpour. We just got rained on um, completely overnight. The tent got soaked. It was like we were we were uh, we were the t- water was getting in the tent. It was a terrible situation. It was just that much rain. Um, the tent is it's a good tent. I'm not saying it was a bad tent. With the, the the rain was just coming in. There was nothing we could do about it, or at least nothing we thought we could do about it. So we had to bail after one night and come home. But uh, that has not that has not diminished their enthusiasm. They're ready to get back out there. So talking to Bob 
makes me want to do that again. And so maybe that will be the final push I need to get to, to get ourselves registered, find a campsite, and go somewhere this spring, summer, fall, whenever it might be. Let's finish with the cooler. A couple NBA things. One, <clears throat> Nuggets beat the Lakers in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals. Lakers pretty sure... They will be better in Game 2. A lot of the narrative coming out of that game, how the Lakers didn't play well in the first half but found something in the second half, had a chance to tie late, but a LeBron three-pointer was off. Um, So Nuggets take Game 1. More to the point, D'Angelo Russell was a minus 25 in this game. Jared Vanderbilt did not start. Um, And Malik Beasley has uh, has been a DNP in a lot of these playoff games. So a lot of these former Wolves not exactly excelling to the point where there are whispers now that D'Angelo Russell could lose his starting spot. ESPN saying multiple team sources told ESPN that there would be concerns that the team could, quote, lose D'Angelo Russell if he views the adjustment to a bench spot as a demotion after starting every other game this postseason. Talking about maybe putting Dennis Schroeder back into the starting lineup and, and benching Russell did not have a good game in Game 1, has not been great in a lot of these postseason games, familiar to the Timberwolves, who see a hot and cold D'Lo a lot of the way along this year, interesting. A lot of those, a lot of the talk at the beginning of, you know, at the end of the regular season, the beginning of the playoffs, was how much those former Wolves players were bolstering that rotation. And I'm sure that's still the case to a certain degree, helping their depth, but not getting a lot from those former Wolves right now. Um, and Russell's the one that's still playing the most, but he had a really brutal game one. We'll see if he's able to rally, and we'll see what his role is with the team going forward. And Spurs win the lottery on uh, on Tuesday night. Victor Wembenyama, the projected number one overall pick, perhaps the most anticipated number one overall pick since LeBron James 20 years ago, a French superstar in the making, seven foot five can handle the ball, can do all sorts of stuff, just a generational talent. Plays like a point guard, but yes, been reported that he's with shoes on now. He's seven foot five, just unstoppable to a certain degree when he gets in the right situation, but also thinks the game really well. So that, <clears throat> you know, that could be another major boon for the Spurs. They've picked number one overall twice. They've picked two future Hall of Famers when they had those picks, David Robinson and Tim Duncan. It's been a long time. I can't accuse the Spurs of getting lucky in the lottery. It's been since 1997 since they had a number one overall pick with Duncan. So they've they've earned it. They got it. And uh, that will be something for the West to contend with in years to come and the Timberwolves to contend with in years to come because the Spurs, not only coached by you know Popovich, an all-time legend, um, they have a lot of draft capital, a lot of young talent, including women Yama. So that will be something for the West to reckon with as the years go on. But they win that lottery. Wolves, of course, not in the lottery, not in the first round because of the Rudy Gobert trade. But at the very least, they did not have to sweat out the prospect of having that pick go to Utah on Tuesday night. That will do it for me today. A lot of Gopher softball stuff coming up on um, on Thursday's show. I talked to Piper Ritter, head coach of the Gophers, the other day. Some other thoughts on the team as well as they head into regional play on Friday in Seattle, Washington. That'll do it for me today. Thanks so much for listening. Back at it again tomorrow.